Alzheimer's sucks. It's an equal opportunity disease that chips away at everything we hold dear. And to date, there's no cure. So until there is, we continue to fight with the most powerful tool in our arsenal, love. This is Love Conquers Alls, a real and really positive podcast that takes a deep dive into everything Alzheimer's, the good, the bad, and everything in between. And now, here are your hosts, Susie Singer-Carter and me, Don Priest. Hello, everybody. I'm Susie Singer-Carter. And I'm Don Priest, and this is Love Conquers Alls. Hello, Susan. Hello, Donald. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a huge question. How are things? Yeah, it is huge, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Well, it's been, a, it's been a little while since I've recorded because my mother's been going through her transition, which is a nice way of saying she's dying. And um, been my, my worst um, fear in my whole life, like I think my biggest fear of my entire life. And... Um, so my mom did pass away on um, July 17th at 1.50 p.m., which was, a very, which was so apropos of my mother to do it at a very nice, <laughs> very kind hour. That's what she would say. Well, if I'm going to pass, let's do it in the middle of the day. Why did people have to come out in the middle of the night, right? Because <laughs> that very would be thoughtful. my mother. Very thoughtful, yeah. yes. And, um, you know, it's it, obviously every part of my mom's journey has been – uh, such such an important part of, of what I do with my life now, and it keeps informing how I move forward, and 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 not in the least has been her death, which is informing how I move forward and with my community, with my life, and with with where I'm. Um, I think I'm bet my calling is really so. Um, it's been it's it's weird, and I think. It, I wanted to rush into this episode because, because this has been my biggest fear of losing my mom. As you all know, I could, I mean, I'd probably, I could have cried at, just meant to just think of my mom not here on this earth and I'm, and tears would well up. If someone was talking about their mother not here, I'm tearing up with them. And being with my mom on this really hard last six months of her life, trying to fight the system and, um, her being pushed towards a, a ending that was a bit or a lot, you know. Um, how, what's a nice way of saying it, Don? She was. It was a, a hastened. Hastened, if you will. Hastened. Yeah. <laughs> it really, it really dawned on me when when my mom finally passed away that how different this feeling feels than I thought it would. What I predicted, and it feels wildly different. And frighteningly different because, and my even my children like thought, mom's going to be in a fetal position. She's not going to be able to get out of her room. What are we going to do? Like we we got to be there for her. I'm sure you did too, Don. You were probably absolutely. I yeah. was. I you know just based on you know, I, I you're you're the relation not only the relationship you had with you the relationship you had with the with even the thought of death mm -hmm. um, that's true too and then you know that, that because you know it does remind you of things and and yeah. so yeah no i was i absolutely thought that i was not going to see you susie mm -hmm. 
the real you for I didn't know how long. Whether whether it was three months or three years, I did not know. Right. And it, and it's been quite different. a different experience. So different. You know, when people ask me how when people ask me about you and say how's she doing, I go, well, you know, I don't know everything that's going on inside <laughs> because I I don't even think you do, Mm-mm. but remarkably well. Yeah. And I think it's because of the path that you took and, and then the journey right. you took. And good, good, good pharmaceuticals. I'm kidding. Always. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, I really am kidding. I wish I could. I wish I, I wish I was that type of person. I don't even drink well. Like, I can't drink when I'm so depressed. So much easier, yeah. Right? I wish <laughs> I could so go, I need a cocktail. No, I would do a cocktail and then I'd be like a blubbering fool, you know, and then I'm tired. Yeah. So, yeah, it doesn't really help me, unfortunately. But, yeah, and so... The reason why I thought this was important to rush into this episode was because I'm so raw in, in, in the middle of this grief process, which I really haven't, you know, given myself the, the, the opportunity. I didn't want to look into what grief was all about. It, you know, I, I, I lost my father when I was 16 in a plane crash, which is like a completely different death, obviously, than this long runway called Alzheimer's, which is called the longest goodbye. And um, so I, I, I had no idea what it was going to feel like. I, I did, couldn't even imagine. And the, and the reason being is, you know, I finally delved into it and did a, my, my deep dive like I did do, like I do. And it's, it's what I suspected. I mean, the grief with dementia and Alzheimer's as a caregiver is just completely different than any other kind of grief. There's aspects of it, of other grief within it, but there's unique, there's unique qualities and characteristics of this grief that, that really are, they're, they really, they really become the the standard for this kind of grief, and we're also going to have one of my favorite people on today. She is one of my favorite people next to you. <laughs> and I kind of, I kind of am okay with her. Yeah. Eh, eh. No, she's no, we love whatever. her, Roseanne Corcoran, <laughs> who's um, first of all, she's my newest, my new BFF sister. I love this woman so much. I wouldn't be able to speak right now if it wasn't for her. She has been my rock and next to Dawn through this whole process. And I'm telling you, folks, we've never met in person, but I couldn't be closer to this person. I couldn't. Thank God for the Internet. Thank God, because now I'm going to cry. Now I'm getting mushy. <laughs> That's good. Okay. That's good. So I mean, <laughs> so I met Roseanne. She's she's such a, a pillar in our in our community of caregivers. She was she was she was um, given the honor of being caregiver of the year last year, 2021. She is the host of a podcast called Daughterhood the Podcast. Wait, the list goes on and on. And she's a she's a daughterhood circle leader, which is a support group for people, caregivers with Alzheimer's, caring for Alzheimer's, and it might be wrong. It might be other the other other things as well. Let me ask my producer. Is we it? can find out. We'll find we out. Okay. Yeah. And then, um, and not. We'll find out. <laughs> and, 
<laughs> and also she is she works with Judy Cornish, who is a mutual friend of ours within this community that we respect so much. Judy also gave me tools to navigate this journey that resonated with me down to my bones. And I love I love her too. And of course, of course, Roseanne is a, is uh, she is a support group leader for Judy Cornish's program called the Dawn Method, which is Dementia Alzheimer's Wellness Network. It's it's a whole different framework of how you look at dementia, how we process it. It's incredible. It's it's forward thinking and it's correct. It makes sense. So Roseanne lost her mother with Alzheimer's a little over a year ago. So she's been on the other side prepping me for this in such a phenomenal way. I just wish for all of you to have somebody like Roseanne in your life and who will be there for you and laugh when you need to laugh and, and cry when you need to cry and be strong and freaking psychic. She's psychic. <laughs> like I can be, well, I'm like literally having like a bad moment walking to my car and I get a text. Are you okay? I'm telling you, there's something. It's called <laughs> being a stalker. No. It's <laughs> <laughs> anyway, without further ado, let me, let me, let me bring on and introduce Saint Roseanne Corcoran. Greetings, Roseanne. Thank you. <laughs> Greetings. Thank you. I'm blushing. Thank you. My goodness. That's quite an intro. Thank you, Susie. Thank you. You're so it's... welcome and, and real and true. Well, thank you. Thank you. I it have was, to um... thank you because I was trying to, and this is part of the thing we're going to talk about today. I didn't know how to do what I think I needed to do for Susie. And because mm -hmm. you've gone through it already and because of the person you are, It'll, you know, your, your value is through the roof, <laughs> uh, for both Susie yeah. and me thank and to you. me too. And, uh, thank you. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. No, you're part of the family. Thank you. you are our thank family. You. Thank so, you. Um, you know, yeah, go on. Say, say <laughs> no, talk. I was going to say it was, I mean, I'm, I'm, it was an honor for me to be with you to, to go thank through you. that process. It's not an easy thing to do and it's not, um, it doesn't, it doesn't make you feel good. It doesn't, there's nothing pos like, you know, it's panic. And, um, mm -hmm. I'm, I, it was an honor for me and, you know, I, you know, thank you. I just thank you guys are we, great. So thank you. Uh, well, <laughs> you, and, you know, we get, we get angels when you need them and I am not ooh but I want to be ooh I wish I was more ooh but <laughs> we do get angels just at the right time. And, you know, like I said, Roseanne and Judy and then another one of our colleagues, Trish Lobb, who who two almost two years ago was a guest on our on our podcast and told me, You're gonna be fine. By the time your mom she said, I promise you it's gonna be one of the most beautiful experiences you've ever experienced and I was like, She this lady's wackadoo. Like yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. jumping in the grave with my mom when this happens and right. she doesn't know who she's talking to. <laughs> and lo and behold, it's one of the most ethereal like moments of my life, like what ha how it all played out finally, ultimately. But that's not to say I am not bone tired and exhausted from the past 16 years. I mean, bone tired. So we'll get into it. So, 
um, yeah, and when when I decided to do this episode, I wanted, of course, Roseanne because she's she is a year into this, and you know, and it and it is so so different still. Like when I was doing research and was sharing it with her, and she was like, "That that's exactly what I've been going through. I just didn't have a name for it." And, you know, when you're going through all those feelings and all those emotions, like you, you just, it's too much. It's too much to even think about researching or, or am I normal or is this right? Or, and people, and there's judgment and people, you know, expectations and yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot of lovely things. And then there's a lot of hard, you know, things that you have to, um, insulate from. So Oh, Siri's talking to me. Hello. I don't know why. <laughs> he's very he's very needy, my Siri. See, yeah. he's working on it. He just wow. said that. He's working on it. Wow, I can keep working on that, okay? Yeah. And you know, one of the things He's that... really annoying. <laughs> wow. Okay, shut him up. Wow. <laughs> I'm trying to, but I'm trying to, like, close it down. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things, and we'll cover this, I think, coming up, is that when you're going through whatever you're going through, you think you're the only one. You think, right. you know, because everyone is unique and their relationship with their, their family member or friend or whatever is unique, mm-hmm. yet it manifests in a very, very uh, same way. For And there's reasons for that. And that's what we're going to talk about right. today and the different stages. Yep. And, and also, I want to just preface that, you know, in addition to grieving for someone with Alzheimer's, Roseanne and I share a, a you know a, our own unique relationships with our mothers. Where not only were were we their caregivers, they were our best friends, and we adored our mothers. We adore our mothers. We still adore them. And you know there are those situations and times where you know it, it it's a different frame where someone is hasn't had the best relationship and his work and is, is, you know, and that, that really changes how you go into caregiving. If you go into caregiving and how you feel about the whole process and when they pass away, depending if you are able to tie things up mm-hmm. in time. So we're talking about it from this, this perspective. And we acknowledge that there are other perspectives in this type of grief. Um, but at the core, there's still a lot of the sameness as a caregiver for anybody with this disease. So today we're calling this Dementia Grief Passover. We're going to handle it <laughs> just like a Passover because it's that big of a, that's that big of a, uh, a topic. So grab some coffee or a drink or some, I don't know, kabucha, whatever. But it's 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 going to be worth it. You're going to want to know all this information. So honestly, you know, if you need to shut us off and come back, do yeah. come back. So we're going to talk about this, and we're going to like if you haven't been to a seder, we're going to do it similar to a seder. And um, so we'll we'll you know the the oldest male that would be. Um, Dawn begins. Oh. <laughs> and we're going to share, we're going to pass it and then read the, you know, another part and another part. And we're going to, uh, in hopes that your grief passes over. Thank you. Really, I have never been to a Seder. 
Well, now you have. I've been to Sunday Italian dinner, so, you know. There's less food. In in this Seder, there's less food than in the other kind, but... uh, Gotcha. Right. Yeah, you'll get a sense. What other, is dementia grief, Don? Why don't well, you tell us what it is? Okay, so we're going to give you a brief overview of dementia grief and how it differs from normal grief. Alzheimer's disease and other types of dementia are unique disease processes in that the person with the disease dies, what is referred to by Alzheimer's families as two deaths. The slow psychological mm-hmm. receding of the person they know over the years and eventually the physical death. Uh, Some caregivers of a person with dementia find that they have grieved uh, the loss of a person for so long that they don't have strong feelings of grief when the person dies. Um, Others do experience a range of emotional reactions that might include feeling numb, denial of the situation, shock and pain even when the death was expected, relief for both the person and the the person who has dementia uh, and the caregiver. Uh, there's guilt, there's sadness, there's feelings of isolation, and a sense of lack of purpose. That's a lot. Of, that's a there's lot a to lot. unpack. There's a lot. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So there are three. There's three different kinds of grief that that we as caregivers go through and experience. Either one, two, three, all of them at the same time, and, <laughs> or you know some combination thereof. So I'm going to talk about the three kinds of loss that we feel. Right. There's several essential characteristics of grief that are associated with Alzheimer's and or any kind of dementia that occur at the same time, and that's this is this is what sets this experience of grief apart from what they call common grief, and that's not to minimize anyone else's grief. That grief is grief, and grief sucks. So, um, and these elements are as followed: the first kind of of loss. And I, I really related to all of these. The first is called a compounded loss, and that loss occurs in Alzheimer's disease. There's so many losses. You have loss of memories and identifying traits, the loss of the person's self, their ability to drive and cook and, and, and make their own decisions, right? Sometimes it's really slow, and then all of a sudden you can get a flurry of changes that happen where you're suddenly taking on a bunch of responsibilities that you weren't prepared to yet, or you, you didn't even know you had to. You know, uh, I remember, I remember, okay, this is going to be very personal. I remember the first time when my mom was incontinent and I had taken her to a family dinner and I had to take her to the restroom and I hadn't dealt with that incontinence. That was the first time the role switched at that point in such an such a obvious way. I remember that being daunting to me and not being prepared for it. When you embrace it, you go, okay, this is, this is lovely what I'm doing for my mom. This is to make her feel okay and still have her dignity to have her own daughter be there for her and nobody, nobody else when I can. So it became, it, it, I, I, I looked at it differently. But that takes the time it takes. We don't know this is going to happen when we're growing up. But when we have spitfire moms like you and I have, Roseanne, right? And yep. Dawn. Like yep. we have moms that are like, you know, bye-bye, doing yep. this, going here, hello world, I'm the, I'm the life of the party, right? right. And, yeah, then, and then, you know, then they're, yep. they're starting to, their dignity is, or their frame of social dignity is beginning to chip away. But it may not serve their dignity either, the fact that their child is doing this mm-hmm. for them. Some of that, some people may not want that. 
they would rather have a stranger do it for them. And, and so that's hard, tough to neg- navigate mm-hmm. if that is the situation. That is a reality sure. also. All those changes. So it's like, like Don once said, it's like whack-a-mole. That's what, we, you know, you feel like you're playing whack-a-mole at all times because just when you get that thing, that change handled, bang, then another change yep. comes up and goes, blah, 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 blah. and then it's going so fast sometimes. And that's, that's the concept of, of, I think, compounded loss is this constant change. You're in change. You're in change. It's, it's changing. And you can't, you can barely keep up with it. Yeah. So you have to really figure out a way to just expect change and expect that you're not going to know exactly what that change is. Right? Yeah, exactly. And so that prepare you're yourself with it. that you're not going to know. Yeah. Yeah. And you're going to deal with it when it comes up. And that's the, the challenge of dementia is, and Alzheimer's is to try to plan for the future, but not be stuck in the future and not be stuck mm-hmm. in the past and be right in the present. And that's part of the challenge because it's hard because you need to plan, but you can't, you can't stay over there because it makes you crazy sometimes. It makes you like, well, how am I going to do this? What is going to happen? You have to be here because here is where your person is. And here right. is where you're going to make that connection. Right. And planning may di- – you, you don't, exactly. don't know what you're planning for. That's you have no idea because you don't know what's next. Know right. what's yeah. next. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> exactly. You don't yeah. know what's next. And also sometimes some, some solutions that you think might be helpful can – fail miserably and so and you have to also realize that you can't take that personally and that's hard you know right. I remember I, I made the this awesome book for my mom in in the the early middle stages when she was living with me from you know an apple book with and I scanned everything from all of her scrapbooks and all her family photos and I made it the story of lovey right and my mom like we looked at it maybe once or twice and it was like, she couldn't concentrate on it. Mm-hmm. It was she like, and, so. and she liked it when I showed it to her, but she's not going to remember to, to pick it up. No, she wasn't going to remember that it was even there. Cause every time I showed it to her, she goes, Oh, you made this. <laughs> this is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Which was your reason for right. making it. You've, you said, Oh, I'm going to do this and I'm going to get yes. this result. And right. So didn't. you have to change your expectations. <laughs> I tell my daughters that all the time. You yeah. cannot live yeah. your life doing things and then expecting a result because 90% of the time, maybe 99% of the time, you're going to be disappointed. You're setting yourself up for a disappointment. So yeah. especially in dementia and Alzheimer's care, right? Yeah. Just got to go. You just got to go with it. Which causes stress and grief. <laughs> that that causes stress. Right. You know, exactly. being disappointed. That that causes more stress, and then you may be making your next decision based off of that. Right, and it is that's it is the, the whack a mole. That's the I'm you're chasing. Mm-hmm. I'll do that, then I'll do that, and, yeah. and then, then you, you could know, get so, to the point, you yeah. know, which I can see if you're exhausted. It's like, well, what's the point? Nothing seems, to, you know, I don't know what works, and maybe nothing does work. Maybe it's just something that you know. Maybe it, it your your person requires something completely different, and maybe. You just have to see and look and, and, and see what works mm-hmm. for them. And sometimes it's not a matter of doing something, of doing. Yes. Sometimes it's a matter of being. And sometimes just being there is what, mm-hmm. that's it. That's the magic. That is the magic. A hundred percent. Yep. Be- 
Because if they don't understand or remember anything else, they just know that exactly. they're not alone. Exactly. When you're there. They know because you're right in front of them. Even if they don't know who you are. Exactly. They, you know, even if they've forgotten who you are, they yep. know somebody's right. absolutely. there. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yeah, absolutely. And and if you're there enough, you, you will see them and they will see you. Well. That's I, the gift of that. That yeah. is the gift my of mother's, it. They will. They will. And my mother said to my sister one time, you see her? And my sister was like, yeah. And she was like, I, I feel like I know her really well. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. Yeah. That I mean, Aww. what more can you what more can you ask for at that Aww. point, you know? Yeah. I know. That's that that's, that's the gifts that's you comfort. get. <laughs> and I know God, I have no idea cuz my mom started losing her speech, right? Like 5 months mm -hmm. ago. And mm -hmm. but two and a half months ago, out of nowhere she just said, "I love you." <laughs> Oh my god! I don't know who, and hopefully, she, maybe she thought she knew I was Susie. I'm pretty sure she knew it was me, but yeah. maybe not me in the way that I think of me. Whatever right. the case may be, she, it could have been. Here she comes that you. nutty nut job girl that yeah. comes in and doesn't shut up. Here yeah. comes yeah. Razzmatazz <laughs> dancing and singing. <laughs> oh my god! I'm going to be tired yeah. when she leaves, but I like her. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and she brings me yep. juice. Exactly. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and she, and and those were the last yeah. words she said. She said that, you know, that was mm -hmm. two and a half, three months ago, though she said it clear as day. She hadn't yep. been speaking before that. She mm -mm. didn't speak again after that. And she said that. I, I think, think she so knew. Too. I think so too. Uh, but I, I'm going to say, knew. I'll go with that. I'll go with that. Totally. Go with it. I'm going with it. Now, did you, are you sure she said it clear? She might have just said, <laughs> I love juice, but I don't Don, know. Don't. <laughs> Made, that might have been what she said. Oh, but, but just a thought. Cry emoji. Ah. <laughs> All right. So the second time t type of loss is called ambiguous loss, and that refers to a significant loss that is lacking in clarity. So it's 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 kind of what we're talking about, but it's defining it even further. Where y you, it's something that you're losing, but you don't have a normal sense of closure with it. So it's broken down into, into two types of ambiguous loss. And the first one is where somebody is physically absent but remains psychologically present. Mm -hmm. And I, I immediately go to my ex-husband who just left and abandoned. And I say, that, that is an ambiguous loss because there is no closure. There will never be closure. And they call it, you know, they call it leaving without leaving saying without goodbye. Saying goodbye. Yeah. And um, that some of the examples are divorce or a child of divorce, what they experience, um, prisoners of war, people who are missing in action, victims of disasters, where, where there just simply is no possibility for closure. Yeah. So that, that is, that's a horrible kind of, of loss because there's... Where they, yeah, where they can't find the body. There's no body to bury. Right. It's just. Yeah. They're gone. They're gone. So there is, there's no closure. <laughs> yeah. And then it also, it relates very specifically to Alzheimer's as well, which I'll explain in a second. The second type of ambiguous loss is when the, your person remains physically present, but they're psychologically absent. And that's the goodbye without leaving. And that's what really relates to dementia and Alzheimer's because they're, they're here, 
but who we knew is gone. So we keep re, re, we keep re, re meeting this person, and and having to meet them where at where they're at, and that's the hard part because even if we are open and accepting Roseanne like you were, and it's still difficult. You know, it's still it still puts you on that liminal <laughs> threshold where you go, okay. Yeah. What do I need now? Okay, got it. All right, you know, Absolutely. and and it's freaking hard. It is hard, and it, it's yeah. it's it in that and they really say that this is prominently something that you find in Alzheimer's disease. It's it's difficult to grieve someone who no longer is who's no longer psychologically present, like a spouse. I always think of a spouse. How hard that must be, you know. Yeah. All all the other, and I talk to people that are losing their spouse. The intimacy and all those other you know elements that play into your relationship and 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 those those uh unspoken communications that only you two share that right. get lost that's those are sad moments you yeah. know so a parent a companion and an in, being intimate who someone who remains physically present with who has ever increasing needs for care that has to be met so you're losing, and then you're having to step up even further. And, um, and since the person with this disease usually changes gradually, albeit they do change it quickly, but it's also gradual, it's not possible for family members to determine a specific point at which point their loved one is no longer who they once were at that point, yep. if that makes sense, right? So it's yep. hard. Sometimes it is gradual. And, and I remember Lisa Gibbons saying to me when I, she had, had lunch with her when I was, my mom was first diagnosed and we were met, we were introduced through a mutual friend. And she said, your mom is going to change before you know it. Take video, take pictures mm -hmm. because it feels like she's never going to change. And then suddenly she's changed. And I remember driving home that day going, mm, she's wrong. My mom, she's not going to change. Like, that's her mom. <laughs> yeah. No, it happens. And, and I'm so grateful for, for Liz's advice. And, um, and she couldn't have been more correct. I mean, it is. It's that kind of thing where right before you just go, wait, oh. You know, just yeah. I remember asking my mom, do you know what day it is? No, I don't. Nope. <laughs> and you're like, okay, <laughs> good. There's, you know, and those, those were the very beginning stages, but it was like, you know, and you learn, you yeah. learn how to deal with it. And you think you can tell, and, and as you experience, you think you can overcome it. You think you can yeah. talk them into knowing it again and teach them and all those things. And then you realize that's, that, that's, yeah. that makes the loss even harder. You know, that makes it, that's mm -hmm, before right. the lean in state. <laughs> that, that's that's a natural way to go. Yeah. It's like no, I'll just exactly. remind them and they'll I know. Ours will be different. Yeah, Ours will be different. Yeah. I can fix yeah. this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're they special. Don't know. Yeah, we're special. The other people yeah. didn't really try. We're, right. We're, right. I got your back, mom. I told her yeah. we're gonna we're gonna kick. We're gonna this. figure this out. Yeah. Yeah. No. no. Well, and I think too part of it the hard the really yeah. hard part <laughs> is that loss of speech because yes. you don't have that back and forth. And it makes it so much harder. It does. And I, you, yes, go on. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. 
No, I, I agree with you. I think that that is, that is one of the biggest setbacks that we have that, that are, or handicaps that we have as caregivers because we don't have the luxury of being able to speak to our person, even, like especially even at end of life where yeah. there's such big questions and such a responsibility on you as the caregiver, which I experienced of making all these decisions without really knowing if if my mom's in pain, if my right. mom would like to check out, if my mom yeah. is hungry, if she's this, it's so difficult to to navigate. And and we, I learned a language. I learned you know nonverbal language with her, and I know yeah. you know that it exists. It exists with mothers and babies. That's how we communicate. We don't communicate. They don't speak, but we know. Mm-hmm. We know. We know. It's there. We, yep. can, we can do that. You can. You just have to allow yourself to and believe that you know that, that you, can, you have those intuitions if you love this person or if you're just a person with empathy. You're going to see. You'll, you'll see the signs. You know, it, it, they're, it's not. They're human beings. Yep. Absolutely. The babies don't speak, but they feel pain and they feel joy. And mm-hmm. people with dementia may not speak, but they feel pain and they feel joy. And they can communicate it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And the babies, you know, they'll, they'll come in, sometimes communicate with a cry or this or that. Yes. And you, you start learning the language. You start learning the subtleties of a look. Or, and, and I think even your daughter, I think Joey said, Mom, you're so much more in tune than anyone with her mm-hmm. that you see things we yep. don't. You see a little yep. something in her eye or look of this or that that you yes. and yeah. you know what that is. We don't. And it's, and it's be, you know, and, creating uh, a new so language. So true. It's beautiful. It's um, beautiful. I would see it, her eyes. I could see yep. a smile in her eyes. I could see the pain in her eyes. Yep. I could see Agreed. when she was swooning to the music or laughing mm-hmm. at me. Mm-hmm. Right, Same. and yes. and and there and and I was like I felt like I really did feel like Wonder Woman, just to myself, nobody else. Just I felt so mm-hmm. happy that I could, that I had, yeah. I thought conquered that that chasm. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's and and you know it can it comes from a hand squeeze mm-hmm. or this or that, and you just know what that means. And it's I mean, it, it, this is very difficult though because especially towards end of life, even if they have a directive, you don't know if maybe they changed their mind. Yep. Maybe they don't want that and anymore. And within with this with Alzheimer's dementia, mm-hmm. they can never tell you that ever again. So you it puts the burden on mm-hmm. you to make those decisions. And I know that was a large point of stress for you, Susie, during, you know, the, during the last six months specifically. Um, and I don't know what, there's no solution for that yet. So now you have to learn how to, to manage it yeah. and how to internally manage it. But Mm-mm. unfortunately, there's no, no answer it's, for that. Challenging. It's the, it's the challenge. Go on, Roseanne. What yeah. you no, say? and that's what leads to more grief. In the after. Yes. Because you, yes. you didn't have that conversation because mm-hmm. you couldn't have that conversation because right. you couldn't say, Ma, is this what you want? Like, there was none of that. And that's none what of it. then starts playing in your mind after yeah. the fact. That's what's so, that's, I agree. Yeah. I mean, that is exactly, said, yeah. if that. If I had to say what was the hardest part for me, it was 
making that decision to finally go into hospice and allow her to to exit and I had but I had to be sure that she was ready I had to know that because my mom loved to live and my mom up until a month ago was living was even in in the shitty state that she was in you know she she was getting joy out of life when when the family was there and it should have been a lot different but that's a whole nother show. But she, I know my mom wasn't, I know when she was ready. Yeah. I think I do. I mean, I, I, I that's why I had to work so hard. I had to work hard to, we because, think, yeah. and my mom, by the way, we, I've said this before when, when she was in her, you know, full glory, she would say, Susie, uh, 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 <laughs> like, I don't want to go into any of this. Huh? I've had a great <laughs> life, right. done it all. Yeah. Dee, 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 dee. And, you know, and, and I always say, I always thought, okay. And then when we got there, my mom wasn't the same woman anymore. She didn't have that bravado of being younger and being able to say that. And I would say to my mom, how are you doing today, mommy? Like right in the smack middle of, of Alzheimer's and she'd go, I'm great. I'm alive. And I thought she didn't want to die. She doesn't want to die. And this is the other lady. Mm -hmm. This is who, you know, as the, all of the layers start peeling away, they become their core. And, and what if she just looked at me and said, not good? Because that's why I always checked in with her. I always would say, how are you today? Because I was looking for the sign. Yeah, I was and looking can, for the sign. And it can sign. go the opposite, too. Yeah, yeah. And it can go the opposite, too. Like, you know, some people say, do everything you can to keep me alive <laughs> forever and then but you have no idea if they're like going except oh, for no, this no. except for this, this is i didn't mean that yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 did i, I forgot to include yeah. that right. Right. <laughs> like 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 don's mother literally yeah. has a directive that is like she's just like whatever it takes keep me alive wow. <laughs> keep me alive <laughs> but but the thing is you don't know it then towards the end because especially they can't right. even tell you if they're in pain right. short of you know if they're really in wailing pain they might just be going this, oh, yeah. God, you please yeah. stop this yeah. and it's such a burden it's such a burden and you know uh, you know in our society we don't have that option but you still I mean, but it doesn't but it doesn't solve it. the problem don of the of the of the, of the yeah of the decision it doesn't so that burden on people because of, you don't of caregivers yep that can't yep. speak to communicate with their, you know, with verbally with their person. That that is such a source of of stress Thanks. and and sadness and yeah. and stress. It's a heavy responsibility. And I kept trying to tell the doctors and the hospice people. It's like I you're asking me to make a decision that I can't make fully until I know exactly where she is i have to be there i have to see her i can't you're asking me to i can't put my dog down i'm not going to just willy-nilly make a decision for someone's right yeah just go yeah let's well, let's just end it yeah right and especially during yeah. covid you would you were not able to no. you weren't actually you couldn't be in the room with her how could you yeah. even you couldn't yeah. do it over zoom and, and that's why i that's why i had her at full live. code for so long because i it wasn't that i wanted them to you know keep her alive with extraordinary yeah with you know i didn't want her on a, no on a, what, on a yeah. ventilator 
for the rest of her life. But I wanted to be the one to make the decision. Right. I didn't want someone else to make the decision and say, well, she was in life support, so we took her off. Right. Because that was her directive. Not when everybody's different. Well, and that is, the, yeah. And that is the so, di- that's the difference between mm-hmm. Alzheimer's yes. and normal caregiving. Yep. There, that's probably and the I want to add some humor. Right so, Dawn. Why don't you do it? Why don't you, you tell this, tell a quick story. This is a, a quick aside and it really, it really illustrates the difference between caregiving for somebody with dementia at end of life and someone that doesn't. Esther, our, our friend's mother, who was a, yeah, a spitfire yeah, like yeah. our mother's, uh, but didn't, didn't have dementia. Yeah, yes. Very, very similar. Didn't have full mind was fully there, full pop, but she had cancer and she was very ill and you know they it was long a long road and finally towards the very end you know they they said okay you know we're you're you're basically you got an hour <laughs> you she, say, she say wanted goodbye it. she, she had decided yeah, she, she was, was no more i don't she yeah. wanted it she was like she was like i i'm done yeah. don't yeah. give me anything take me off all the stuff and they said okay you're gonna probably she asked how long so, uh, she, the family said their yeah. goodbyes she they said about an hour. They, they family said their goodbyes. Uh, only her husband stayed, and he stayed with her. And you know, just wait. And when and it's an hour, she's still alive. Two hours. I think it's now two hours still alive. Three hours later, <laughs> the doctor comes in. <laughs> And she goes, oh when the fuck am I going to die already? You said it's an hour. It's been <laughs> Where am I going? It's been three hours. What the hell's going on? And that, and she, I, she's just, there's Esther. That is Esther yep. to, a, to a T. And, you know, I could imagine my mom doing that if she was in her, in her right mind. You know what I and mean? that's the but difference. There's that's the, the difference. difference. You know where where that that's the difference on the effect of the caregiver and the family. And that's members. the gift, right. the gift she gave the family right. was like, yeah. right. "I am ready, family." <laughs> family yeah. didn't want to let her go. By the way, family was not happy about it. Yeah. And so you can imagine what to, to the the weight that they that yeah. she was able to to re- take away from yeah. her family. Roseanne, where did, what was, By saying what was that, your, because what was your experience at the end? Did you know? It was a week turnaround. Uh, the Wednesday before she passed, I think she had a little stroke. Um, and Saturday she was in a lot of pain. And when I called hospice, they said, you know, give morphine. And I was like, oh God, I, oh, I, I mean, I, I got the morphine and I, I stood downstairs and I thought this, I was going to kill her. Like, that's what I thought. I thought I was going to give her the morphine and she was going to die. And I was in a panic. And I remember coming up and I said to her, she was awake. And I said, mom, you're in this pain. If I give you this, it's probably going to help you, but it, it might knock you out. Do you want it? And she nodded her head. And I thought, well, thank God, because I didn't know what, what to do. I mean, I was, I was full out in a panic um, and I gave her the morphine. Mm-hmm. She did not die. It didn't help her pain. <laughs> and we went like this for another five days. And <laughs> then um, she mm-hmm. um, she couldn't get comfortable. She was she got into a position. She was <sighs> stuck in that position. I couldn't move her. When the hospice nurse came and we turned her over, her blood pressure had dropped. Her pulse rate had dropped. And I thought I was I was looking at the 
the counter, and I thought it said 52, it said 25. And the hospice nurse said, Roseanne, she's dying. And I was like, wait, what? Like, hold on. She was just, wait, mm. I, you know, mm. I called on my siblings, and that's, I mean, by the end of the night, then, you know, five hours later, she was gone. But that's where it was, it was a shock, like I said. I just, I didn't know how long we were going to go on. I didn't know how long this was mm. going to be, but I certainly didn't expect it that day. Right, yeah. You know, and she had lost her speech. Right. She had lost her speech um, three weeks before. But we were still communicating because, like you said, Susie, you know, you're, you're able to communicate. Um, eyes do a thousand things. And, but. Sure. I don't know what I would have done had. Yeah. She not said yes. She wanted the, yes, the morphine that first time. And then I felt that opened the door. That was permission then for me to continue to give her that morphine right. that did not, did not touch right. her pain. So, but I know that if I wouldn't have, and then right. something would have happened, if she right. wouldn't have said yes and I gave it to her and she did die, I would have never been able to forgive myself, even though... There was no going backwards. And I think that's the part where as caregivers we get caught up with that. Like, well, I did this and they died. No, no, no. They were dying. You know, you're, mm -hmm. you're trying to be with them in mm -hmm. this moment where this is the end of their life. It doesn't matter what you do. This is the end of their life. But as caregivers, because we're caring and we're doing and we're in charge, mm -hmm. we carry that then for the rest of our lives thinking – well, what didn't, did I not see something? Could I have done this better? Well, what if I would have done something sooner? And those mm -hmm. are those what ifs that then add to your grief. Yep. When in reality, you were there, you were the person, you were caring for them. Yeah. More than, more than most situations. Yeah. yeah. In, in any other situation. I mean, and that, yeah. it that flows really well into the third and final type of grief, which is anticipatory grief which we experience nonstop. So, you know, I'll read this to you. I our parents can start before they die. Anticipatory grief is a natural form of grieving that occurs before a loss. So it can happen in other kinds of diseases because if someone's told they have a terminal cancer, there's a, a bit of an anticipatory grief. But we live it because we don't know because we can't communicate. So... It can, it can precede the loss of a job, a house, a marriage, a dream, but it often occurs when a loved one is stolen by aging or disease. The anticipatory grief causes you to mourn the person that they were, all the things that they missed or are going to miss. I had that. My daughter's pregnant again, and I thought, if only she could hang on. So there, you know, and I was, I was thinking, is that selfish of me? There's just so many things that play into it. And... Um, and it also gives you this feeling of impotence. Like you said, there's nothing we can do. There's no yeah. going back. Yeah, what do you mean? <laughs> and you know it's coming, and you know no. you just don't know exactly how or when. Like, you didn't know exactly. You were like, what? It's what? Today? Right? Even, doesn't matter. Like, it, it, like we're so there with them. And I went home at 3 in the morning to, to get a couple hours sleep and, like, think. The nurse called me to tell me that my mom, her blood pressure had dropped and I just dropped yep. everything and ran back. But I, I didn't know. 
I had no idea. And we know that my mom went through this five months ago. We thought she was going to die then. So those things happen with yeah. Alzheimer's. So yeah. there is so much anticipatory grief, and that keeps you in a, a constant state of, of adrenaline. Which yes. makes it really hard to yes. function. In, in your everyday life, you, how can you function? That's, that's all that you're thinking about because you're, and you're, and you are just, and especially like to you, Susie, you know, your father passed in a very, very different way, you know? And so there was no anticipation with that, that one, you know, but the fact that he did pass, you know, it's, it's like, you know, you're waiting, what, what, what's going to drop next? What, you know, when's the other shoe going to drop? You, you know, because of just past experiences and really doesn't matter what those are. You still have to deal with the fact that you don't know when it's going to happen. And that is a, that's a very sincere form of grief. You were, I remember that stage when you were in that stage and that was, you know, which was a long time. It was, you know, it was a a long time and that was a very, you didn't know it, but you just were like, Okay, I think maybe now. I think oh, yeah. tonight. I think tomorrow. And that's meaning all that all you're thinking about. So that's a tough one. Yeah, and then it should be no surprise to us that in our grief, we're we're just you know, swirling because of all of that and all of that stress and all of the anxiety and everything. And then afterwards, it's not like you go, "Okay, I'm good. Let's go." That's not how this works because your body is still fighting. And that's, that's the hard part in that after that, you know, insomnia, you're still anxious, you're still exhausted. All of that comes to play. I'm still not sleeping right 14 months later. I'm still not sleeping right. And, and I, I think because some of the this stuff, there's, you know, what's, is there a solution? Is there something I can do to combat this or reverse mm-hmm. this? And in a lot of cases, there isn't. It is just what it is. And mm-hmm. sometimes just the knowledge of it, yeah. that, right. that you know it exists, so you don't feel like you're crazy, um, that is helpful. But there really it's is no compassionate with yourself. real solution for a lot of this. Do you know, like, grief. okay, if you don't feel like doing something, then don't do it. If you can't put yourself out to do something then don't like allow yourself, give yourself that grace to take those moments to be okay. Do you know, I, I, my niece had her uh, baby shower a month after my mother died. Yes. I did not go. I couldn't go. And I, uh, my first thought was, well, you have to go. And then I was like, I can't, I can't go. I can't, I I can't interact. I don't want to be out in that, in that world yet. And I didn't. You have to allow yourself those moments. You have to allow yourself that opportunity to try to get back to some sort of center for yourself. Do you know you're allowed? And that should also come without without guilt. The yes. guilt is, I think, what drives most of this stress. The fact that should I, I – I shouldn't be laughing right, right now. I shouldn't be enjoying myself. I shouldn't take time for myself. And, and you know, you, you become – Yep. So selfless that it it hurts you, and in the long run, as the caregiver, right. if you're hurting as a right. caregiver, you're not the best caregiver you can be. 
So yep. you have to try to do it without guilt and take you care have of to. yourself. It's a shoulectomy. You have to have a shoulectomy. Well, yeah. You have to. It's for them too. <laughs> no more should. A shoulectomy? Yeah. yeah. A shoulectomy, yeah. yeah. Oh, a shoulectomy. Yeah. I thought you said yeah. a shoulectomy. You can do that too. Oh, <laughs> let us pass let us pass the uh, Seder book over to Roseanne to to tell us about the three states of grief. Separation, liminality, and reemergence. I never really thought about it, but it it makes perfect sense. State of separation, obviously, um, is a person in a state of separation when they suffer a significant loss. Each mm-hmm. loss is experienced as a separation from the person with dementia, from the life one has lived in the past, and from an anticipated future. So, yeah, I mean, that's, I don't think, I don't know if everybody thinks of it in that way, that it's an actual separation, do you know? Right. And Mm -hmm. it is all along the way. And it says um, that not only is it important that family members educate themselves on dementia, but also find a community of support where you can share your grief honestly with a sense of safety. And I'm fully, fully uh, support any type of support. Yes, you are. (laughs) Yes, you you do. (laughs) You walk the talk, my friend. Yes, you do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because there's nothing like saying something or feeling something and actually having the courage to share that. Right. And then have somebody say, but you know, you know, well, stop being a martyr or, you know, I don't know why you feel that way. Well, okay. And then that adds to your own isolation. So Mm -hmm, when you mm -hmm. find a group of people that you can, that you're sharing the same thing and you say something like, you know, I don't know, I, I can't believe, I can't believe they're gone. Yeah. I can't believe I'm numb. Well, of course you're numb. Yes, you're numb. Mm-hmm. How could you not be numb? It's okay. You know, or, you know, I haven't cried. I haven't cried. Okay. That's okay. Your, your body has to catch up. Your mind has to catch up. Your emotions. Everything that we do as caregivers, you just keep going and things get piled on top. You don't have mm-hmm. time to deal with what you're seeing, what you're feeling, and what you're, what, what you're witness, as a witness even. Mm-hmm. You don't have time to, you know. Process. process that yeah mm-hmm. and then it's at the end and you're like wow well I didn't process all that stuff well it's still inside yeah. of you you know 100% yeah and it's it's yeah. just it's hard it's all part of it it's yeah and when you're caregiving like you said you're in it you're in the race you're in, you're yep. in the race you're sweating you got you've got blisters you've got you know, right you're you, yes. you're just grabbing a drink and you're you know you you're just making it through and, yes. and then it's when it stops, you go past the finish line and then you feel triumphant. I felt triumphant. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel joy. Mm-hmm. I felt triumph. And, right. and, um, but I had, I, I, God knows I have no relationship to what my emotions are right now because I've just been trying to get everything done right. Yes. Before and after. Yes. Yes. And, um, and you're separate. And, it's almost like you're separate mm-hmm. from your body. Yeah. And, and mm-hmm. you know, mo- some people are lucky. They have a really good support system in terms of family members. Some of us are only children. I'm, I have, I'm like an only child, even though I have a sibling. And I know I'm not alone in that. Well, and so that sure. can add even more stress to it, especially during the, the post uh death and the pre-funeral stage and all that stuff it can only add to your 
your stress level and your anxiety because now you're dealing with things that you really don't want to deal with that are real, either super painful or just super, super stressful. And um, it, you know, it, it takes a lot. It right? does. And it's okay if you don't have those people in your life. You can find oh, yeah. them. You know, you, you can, can find, find them. them because you have to. It's important. Yeah. It is important. And, and sometimes those people cannot be or the people right. closest to you because, A, they might be also, you know, if it's a family members, they can be, you know, going through mm-hmm. their own thing. Uh, if it's a friend like me or other friends, you know, they may not, even if they've, they've, done research and you know all that stuff they've never experienced it themselves let's say they don't know what to say you know i've often wanted to just say what do you want to hear right right now what would make you feel better because sometimes people say stuff that seems caring and it's just annoying give us an example they're in a better place (laughs) they're in a better they're Uh in a better place right now you know that it's all it's not suffering you you know all those things that it may be true but it's not what you want to hear. And so that's difficult. And to find people who have gone through it before, at least they – and everyone's different. They might even, they might have a clue as to what's the best thing to say and maybe not more importantly what yeah. not to say. Right, right. Nothing that starts with you – Because know, that yeah. can add Nothing to that. Nothing that starts with at least. <laughs> oh, yeah. Cross that out. <laughs> well, at least yeah. – yeah. Well, at least she's not – At, at least, least she was 92. Yes, she, least, I know. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. She had a, yeah, she had a good, good long, long life. life. Yeah, yeah. No, at least. <laughs> you know, that's yeah. a blessing, you know. And, and all of it's true. It's true, but it's right. not what you want to hear. Right. It's not, it's and, not the time it, for platitudes. Exactly. And, and also, yeah. again, uniquely to, and maybe not, maybe not so uniquely to uh, Alzheimer's and dementia, but, you know, we have a, a medical system that is broken. So, you know, a lot of people were... Yeah, they they are in a better place, but not of their own doing. It wasn't a natural, <laughs> you know. We just we have a we yeah. have a, a very um, faulty system, and um, we were left as caregivers to navigate that as well yeah. as our person, and yeah. and that and so it's very complicated. So when you say to someone like Roseanne or myself or anyone of you out there, well, they're in a better place. It it does tr- it does trigger a lot of things for me when someone says mm-hmm. that because what mm-hmm. I want to go into is well actually <laughs> let me tell you a story yeah. <laughs> yeah. two hours right. later right? right and and you're on that path you're on that path now and Roseanne might have been on a different path you know and that, and so I have a question here that for both of you which is Susie you're three, three what, weeks three tomorrow. weeks out since. And Roseanne, you're a year and... 14 months out. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I don't know if you remember what three Mm -hmm. weeks out felt like. What would you want to hear? What would Um, make you feel better? I am here. If you want to talk, you can talk. If you want to talk and have me answer, I will do that. If you want to take a walk, if you want to sit, if you want to do whatever, I am here and will do whatever you want me to do. And if that means sitting here and you sit there, so be it. Just, just an open, just an openness um, and not a, uh, well, you know, you have to do this. Well, you know, you should be doing, n- no, mm-hmm. no, yeah. no. I'm lucky I'm standing. I'm lucky that right. I can make it through my day. And I mean, I was in bed at 630 
three weeks after, I was in bed at 6.30. I wasn't sleeping, but I was in bed. Right. Because I just, right. it was like, oh, my mm-hmm. goodness, what is happening? Yeah. Yeah. And a year, and th- over a year later, do those words still, would that still be what you want to hear? Um, or is there it's something different, different because, you, you know, um, you know, everybody's like, hey, it's a year. You better? You feel good? Isn't it great? It's like, no, I don't. And it's, listen, I'm not where I was at week three, 12 months later. I'm, I've gone through that time. And it's not that it's better. It's different. So it's not, I don't run up, don't think I'm going to run up the steps to tell my mother something. I don't, you know, pull in the driveway mm-hmm. and think, oh, I could tell, I don't, that's not there anymore, but it was there. Right. And it's, it was hard. Um, now I'm trying to, now it's like, okay, Roseanne, what do you want to do with your life? What do you want to do going forward? Because mm-hmm. it's different. And while I was caregiving, you know, my, my kids grew up, they grew up, they grew out. Yeah. And yeah, you know, life goes on. And then it's like, you know, you say to your husband, oh, hey, I remember you. Did you want to do uh-huh. something? Do you want to go out? Because you didn't have that. So mm-hmm. it's right. a complete relearning. And, right. and it, takes, it takes a little bit, you know? Right. Because and- you do. Your, your relationships Absolutely. with everybody change. Every, every, and you have yeah. to reestablish those. Um, Susie, so mm-hmm. you're three weeks out, and you're in a very different state yep. of mind that Roseanne was in. She was in bed by 630 you don't yeah, I wasn't asleep. I was just in bed. Because <laughs> yeah. you always have something going. So at that stage, or I mean, take it from the time right after it happened to now, what what do you want to hear? What would make you what feel better? Is it the same or is it something different? Yes. And I know what I know just having people to share a bit of what's happened to through this journey is helpful it helps me process it just being able to talk about it just to get it out and verbalize it articulate it um you know the last like i said the last six months were so harrowing and grueling that anybody that will listen to my story i feel very cathartic and it feels good to share it and i i guess it gives me a sense of purpose you know, to continue um, advocating in a way, it gives me, it continues to, to support what I've been doing. So that makes sense to me. So that feels good. Um, and then I feel, I also feel guilty sometimes because I, and I always want to make sure that I'm not dismissing the people that I love too. I want to, I want them to know that I'm here for them. I'm not, I'm not fragile. I'm, I'm in, I'm, I'm heartbroken, but I'm not fragile. And I, I am here. If you, if you need me, I am here. That's helpful too, to be helpful. Yeah. Well, that gives you purpose. That gives you purpose. And I want to be that for other people. Um, And it's, you know, I continue, that's just part of who I am. So I don't want people to treat me like I'm, um, fragile. Like I said, that's it. Yeah. So I, and, and, and I love everything that Roseanne said yeah. too. And I think there, I, I don't, I, I don't appreciate anybody minimizing the situation because of yeah. someone's age or because of their disease, yep. you know, and I find that, mm-hmm. I find that clumsy 
So that's the only thing I would say is is don't yeah. minimize. Don't yeah, don't say right. hey. It's the or best they thing had Alzheimer's. <laughs> yeah. yeah, wow. It was time. Because I remember at time. one time I had a friend who said. Uh, is your mom ever going to die? I hope wow. not. I mean, it, and it's just because people don't, they, they don't, don't know what to say. Right. And they do think they don't. And it, and I guess as, do you have it in your, in your being to yes. forgive them for those types of things? I have. You know, yeah. I mean, so what I, what I'm doing is kind of, you know, for our, for our listeners is to, you know, because I think people just No, we need to educate. To say well, anything. Right. And sometimes what happens right. is they don't say anything. They don't say anything because they are afraid to say the right. wrong thing. And we I think had that's that, worse. we had yeah. that. Yes. Exactly. We had that at yeah. the funeral. My, you know, we had someone who was close mm-hmm. to us. I won't say it, but who didn't say anything. And they were there, and I was like, not a, not a word. Yeah. And when I thanked them for coming, they were like, oh, yeah, of course. And that was it. And I, that was so odd to me. And then, you know, you, you realize after you, you process that and, find, and you realize they just didn't know what to say. And they felt inept. They didn't feel that they could say anything and felt that anything they did say was going to be inappropriate. Yeah. 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 Right. Or try. And I can understand that. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's even, I mean, take it to what's current, you know, social media, you know, the comments varied so much from like literally condolences to uh, an emoji to like these beautiful orations that were just like spectacular. And I think, you know, that's something we should talk about because that's very real. Everyone needs to is going to be responding to the de- uh, death from one of their friend's family or something. Like, what do you want to read? It's kind of the same thing. Hey, if I'm here from you, I'm here for you if you ever want to talk. That may be what I'm hearing is the uh, best yeah. thing to hear. But I loved you know, if when you don't people know acknowledged <laughs> my mother and said what a great lady she was and yeah. and that admired our relationship or just said what a just, – just when they, they – when they, when they saw her, that made me feel good. That was like, wow, that, that was so beautiful that you actually saw who she was and, and told me about that. And, and, and that's so lovely. I, and even when my father passed away, I remember he was, you know, he traveled all the time because he was in the music industry and he was installing recording studios all over the world. And I got a letter from a man I had never met from Australia that my dad had installed a studio and he wrote me a letter just to me to tell me how wonderful my dad was and what an incredible human being and what a contribution he was to the world and that, you know, I should... Just just a beautiful letter that that stayed with me my whole life because he told me how great my dad was from an adult person, you know, and, and I think those are, those are beautiful gifts. Those are flowers that you get. Totally agree. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah. Go, so Roseanne, talk about yeah. the next state called the liminal state. The liminal state. So liminal derives from the Latin word limen, which means threshold. In crossing a mm. threshold, we move from one place or state to another. When one stands in a threshold, however, one is not in either place. Liminality is a state of transition, of being in between a previous situation and an emerging situation. 
This status of being betwixt and between is an apt description of an experience of ambiguous loss, and thus the liminal state is linked with ambiguity and the receding of the known self. Right. Which, yeah. You related to so much. Because you said when, you, when, when I sent you that information, talk, yep. talk about how that, that hit I you. Used to, I used to say that as, as of for dementia caregiving, and I would feel like every time my mother changed or we approached a change, it was like being in a doorway. And I would say it's a different threshold. I never knew it's a liminal state. I don't speak Latin, but um, that it was like an <laughs> actual diem, thing. Yes, you do. Carbon yeah, diem. how about that? <laughs> so um, I would always say that. It was, like being, it was like being in that transition. But you're not. You're not in either place. And what do you do with that? And that's part of that feeling. That's part of these ambiguous feelings that we feel as dementia caregivers, because you don't know where to go. You don't know what's coming. You just left this area, which you were like, wow, this is, this is bad. I can't imagine. And then you're like, oh, wait, we're in a new, new section. And right. that's continuous. It never stops. It never stops. And that just never stops. Mm-mm, mm-mm. And it's hard. And sometimes that, no. sometimes you don't even know no. that you've gone to no. another stage. You, you, because Alzheimer's isn't literally just, I mean, sometimes right. it's literally one day and behavior is different. Sometimes it's just this gradual, you know, sands through the hourglass and you have no idea that it's gone to another state. So you don't know right. what you're even dealing with or how, right. or what exactly. you're exactly. supposed and, and to And everything's unique. To. Everybody's unique. <laughs> everybody's like, unique they, in you know, every pe- situation. Yeah. Yep. That's yep. right. And it even says in the liminal state. The facilitating behavior that allows the grief process to further unfold is tolerating difficult emotions. The process can be hindered if painful feelings are avoided or otherwise suppressed. The consequences of this avoidance can result in unhealthy or compulsive behaviors, such as indulging in food or alcohol, angry outbursts, chronic distracting activities, yada, yada. And that's, that's the thing. So it's like, well, I don't want to be here. So how do I get out of this feeling? And who has time to address those feelings because you're putting out the next fire? And that's, that's exactly. the part. And it says, uh, you know, a sense of clarity moves naturally into states of reemergence. At times, family members need to simply trust that eventually, through tolerating painful emotions, the grief process will unfold into clarity and the possibility of adaptation to the new emergent situation. As difficult feelings are tolerated without avoidance or suppression, a sense of clarity moves naturally into states of reemergence in which recognition of a new landscape, inner and outer, enables adaptation to losses. So it's right. like, okay, well, you have to tolerate it and then move through it. And it's sometimes that's easier said than done. Right. But yeah, and I think I think those are those are the those those losses all along the way. That, yes. that when they say that it's, uh, you know, you die twice, I don't think it's that you're dying twice. It's that you're, you, there are these little deaths of that yeah. come before you, you know it, you know, like when you're <clears throat> raising a child, there's a certain spectrum, <clears throat> there's a certain spectrum of normalcy that normal, you know, normal development. And you'll go, yeah. this is this stage, this is adolescence, this is, you know, whatever. And then you... <clears throat> But with but with Alzheimer's because everybody is so unique the way that they manifest and because they are a human being and that you know this is not a normal thing this is a disease so it takes on it takes it takes its it it 
presents differently for everybody, even though it's similar. Right. So we can't predict what's going to happen. And you do have to pro yeah. – no. <clears throat> you can't label it. Yeah. yeah right. You can't label it and say, oh, this no. is this. No. You can't do that. Uh, the only thing that dies yep. really is yep. normalcy yep. dies. Well, <laughs> new normals, that's, that but new goes. ones are and born. It's like, okay, <laughs> yeah. But you have to create a new. You have to create a new yep. one, and right. that and every but, moment. But while you're doing this, you're exhausted. <laughs> every moment, yes. you're you're trying to figure out how mm -hmm. to make the best of this situation, and I feel that that with caregiving and with grief, it's the same type of thing because you're trying to figure this out and go with it. You don't know what to do. You're, you're trying to figure out the feelings. You're trying to, right. you know, go forward. And it's that same idea. And it's the same thing with people when you're caregiving. It's like, oh, oh, you're, oh, that must be tough. Okay, well, mm -hmm. gotta go. And it's the same thing like with grief. It's like, oh, wow, I'm really sorry. I'm out of here. And that's unfortunately what happens because it's uncomfortable. And anything that's uncomfortable kind of follows that if that makes sense do you know what i mean it's like mm -hmm. it's just it's uncomfortable well we don't want to be there most most it's usually we avoid uncomfortable situations right right, right. yep so and i think all those states from what i'm gathering from my research is that all of those states occur at different stages of 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 this process roseanne yeah why don't since you're a year down the line why don't mm -hmm. you discuss? Why don't you talk about these these you know manifestations, these emotional reactions that happen that are uniquely part of this process? Well, I, you know, I've heard the the dying twice part aspect of of dementia, and I don't know if I ever really um, embraced that because there were still times my mother was fully with me, so mm -hmm. I understand that thinking. Um, but I never, there were parts that changed. There were parts of our relationship that changed. Of course they did because they had to. But mm -hmm. um, when I would sit and think, you know, when she dies, it's going to feel like this. And then it didn't. And mm -hmm. even though our relationship and she changed over the course of her disease, when she died, it was completely different. And it mm -hmm. wasn't like, I was like, well, I expected this. Okay. It wasn't, even though mm -hmm. I expected her to die, and I knew she was going to die. When she left, it was a smack in the face, and I was mm -hmm. shocked. And I never thought mm -hmm. shocked would be the word that came out of my mouth. After all of this, after all of this time, after, after everything that we had been through together, I never thought shock would be the thing that I felt, and I did. And that's just, it's one of those things where you think you know, you don't know. Uh -huh. You don't know. Exactly. Until you get there. And it's same with me with the, you know, the number one on the, on the list, right, is feeling numb. And yep. I thought, like I said, I would be in a fetal position and not able to stop crying. And I, yep. I haven't cried since the day my mom passed. And, there, and I was really worried about it. And um, but there's now that I'm reading up and I'm learning about that numbness and why we, why, why it comes on, it's, it's, it really makes so much sense. It, it, it is in, it's in balance with how much love I have for my mom also is how Absolutely. numb I feel right now because I can't possibly embrace this right now. No, I, I intellectually know it. I emotionally have not embraced it yet. And I, and in order to function, 
I'm, I'm, um, my, I, my cortisol has spiked through the roof, I yeah. think. Yeah. Which is why I'm so tired. Yeah. And that's another thing. I didn't know how tired oh, you yeah. are from grief because I'm, I'm the Everetti bunny. I, I can just keep going and going and I will... I have never wanted to sleep so much in my life and not during the day, but I mean, when I go to finally fall asleep, I just can't, I, I'm so deep in it. My body's like, thank you. Yep. Thank you. Oh, Shut totally. down. Yeah. Totally. Well, and plus you've been, you know, for not only this last 16 years, but even more focused the last six months, you mm -hmm. have been just running on adrenaline just mm -hmm. to get through the day and to go and to care give every single day and go and go mm -hmm. and go and go and go. And it's yeah. kind of like, you know, anyone who's been done a play in the theater, you know, you work on something for six months and you do all these performances and you're just literally running on, you're not sleeping. And then when it stops, mm -hmm. you, you just like, you just, your body just goes, bam. Yep. Yep. Uh, yep. But, but, you know, so that's why you're tired, but you're now pushing through to, to get the arrangements done, to do this and to continue on it. And now your quest to, you know, to help others, you know, so it's no wonder you haven't had the time to just stop and cry. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And, and you're still, even after, uh, and I, I don't know, I felt this way. I was still caring, still had to talk to the priest, had, still had to get, I mean, we had pre-planned the funeral mm -hmm. and all, but you still have to, you got to get the flowers, you got to get the prayer cards, all of that. So all of that, I still felt like I was still on duty, on duty, yep. still mm -hmm. going. And I remember yep. leaving, I remember driving home after the luncheon and thinking, well, now what do I do? Mm -hmm. Now what? what? Yeah. Now that's I'm supposed that, to... that lack of purpose. That's that lack of purpose. Right. That we just because mentioned. for every yeah. day, and my mother lived with us, so every day... My thought was, what does she need? What can I anticipate? How do I do, you know, what, what logistically needs to be done? What caring needs to be done? And then trying mm -hmm. to also have her feel loved and safe and secure. Mm -hmm. and, and balance that, your own life. And well, balance your yeah. life with your husband and your children. And right. if you have animals. Yourself. And, everything, and yourself. yourself <laughs> and your career right. and your work, whatever it is, you're, you're trying to do that and, and you know, Everybody that's listening that is a caregiver right now or has been, you you totally understand that a hundred percent. Absolutely. So and, and when it stops, you're like, wait a minute. Now what? and and it's that that item that you said, Don, about the relief for the person with dementia and for you and for yourself in some respects. There's such a, a, a duality for me with that because yes, I am relieved. I'm relieved that. Do I, did I want to be a caregiver? Did I sign up for Was I looking forward to that, you know, fighting the system and being on, on guard all the time? No, it's not a fun place to be. Did I love my mother and enjoy the process? 120%, 200%. I wouldn't have done it any other way. I would never, I, I miss doing it. But I also have that feeling that my mom she was a hero. She did as incredible as she could. And it was time. There was nothing more. And we, we, we checked off all our boxes, my mom and I. So I felt okay to let her go. And, um, and she needed to, she needed to go. Yeah. So. And I think that, that, that like, you know, feeling that you have a lack of purpose can also lead to guilt 
because you know then you start thinking oh you know did i do enough did mm-hmm. i do you know you you want to feel like you left nothing <laughs> on the field <laughs> like you put it put it all in which you did and i'm sure you both did um but you still have those doubts and and fears of that you didn't right and and that's yeah i mean the the, the amount of the amount of different things that you you are feeling at the same time no wonder mm-hmm. you're tired yep yeah. Well, <laughs> you know. and then yeah, it's and your then. it's your parent, it's your mommy. It's when you go down to your mm-hmm. your core of who you are as a as a human being, no matter how old we are, our mom, our mommies and our daddies are our foundation, our stability. And um I find it interesting that you said Roseanne, you felt like you weren't losing your mom all along the way, you know, in terms of of her disease, like you weren't really grieving and and i and i understand that feeling because i feel like my where my mom ended up in the last days of her life is the woman that i knew right. and i wasn't grieving who i lost because people let's in any situation in any normal healthy situation people grow and change and get older and and you know i i know some people mourn for for the you know the glory days but i love every day so right. I didn't. I didn't mourn every every loss my mom had. I went. I I was aware of it, and I went. Okay, so we're at that stage. But I didn't love her any less, and I I still loved her just as much. And and frankly, the more skills she lost, the more I even loved her more because that that relationship changes and it switches into you becoming their rock and their foundation, and they become you switch roles. I became mommy in a way, even though she was still my mommy, but I felt such a, a tenderness for her and, and, and pride and like such filled with joy to see her face every time I walked in the room. So, you know, I, I miss that lady. I miss, I miss the old lady. I miss that. I miss, I miss this lady. This is who I miss, right? Can yeah. you see her? I miss that little face. That's so happy to see me. And, you know, I miss that. I mean, our children grow and, you know, I would, I love them just at the age they are now. And I will continue to love each and every age. And Absolutely. Yeah, that's the two deaths, though, that we were talking about when it comes to dementia and Alzheimer's. You, you, you mourned her, you know, your, the other mom a long time ago. Yeah. And now you're mourning this right. one. Right. So. I mean, it is, a, it, yeah. in a way it is, a, if you want to look at it in a, in a, I think instead of mourning, it's to go, is to just acknowledge that they're changing. Yeah. Just like anybody would. You know, we all change, you know, our personalities shift a yeah. little, our bodies shift a little. Not you, Don. you look exactly the same. No, I, yeah, and exactly. you look exactly as I ever knew you. <laughs> you're sh- shifting. Shifted, shifted. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it's just having that that opportunity to to lean into and surrender into my relationship with my mom gave me that that peace of mind and and allowed me to prepare for her leaving. Not that it doesn't smack you in the face, like you said, Roseanne, because yeah. God knows it's yeah. <laughs> it is it is so primal. Yeah. It's the most primal thing you'll ever feel. It's like it's the same as giving birth to me oh, absolutely. as a woman. Yeah. That's what yeah. it felt it feels like. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, and it's acceptance too. So, you yes. know, anytime my mother changed, it's like, okay, well, this is where we're at. And you have to go mm-hmm. forward. 
you can't say, well, I don't want to be here. Well, no kidding. You don't want to be here. She mm-hmm. doesn't want to be that way either, but no. you're, you're accepting and you're moving forward. It would be if, it would be if one of your friends broke their leg. Okay. Well, do you love them less? No, they broke their leg. Okay. Well, right. you, you go with it. You have to, right. it, it's just, it's part of life. This is part of life. And we have to be able to uh, move through those times because that's just how it is. Yes. We adapt. We have to yes, adapt. We do. Yep. Absolutely. I found this um, article on feeling numb mm-hmm. and I thought it would be helpful for me and whoever else is feeling that way. This is what I found. Feeling numb can be viewed as a mild dissociation process as a way to cope with loss. Numb grievers don't react with immediate shock. Instead, they're often able to into this enormous energy that comes to deal with all the arrangements, the logistics, the comforting other people in the family, taking on tasks in the first few days after someone passes away, you know, so you're basically insulating yourself from all the feelings that you think that you should have or that you will have to protect you yep. in some way so that you remain functional. It, it, it can feel awful and it just causes more <laughs> stress. Thankfully, what I've discovered is, is it's very normal. And that makes sense to me because I love my mom so much and I'm heartbroken. I need to, for me, process in little increments, little bits at a time. And that will be the way that, that I can manage it better for myself. But it's really interesting because, you know, you say you're numb and you haven't been reacting and everything. But you also have to look at what led up to it. And because, for, because of the ramp the long runway you've been on for 16 years and then the more short-term runway, which is more intense, you were grieving all that time. You grieved, and and I don't know if you want me to mention the the moment right after she passed. It's very personal. and uh, But there was a massive amount of, uh, if you want to tell people about it or, or whatever, I mean, you did not, you were not numb. Let us just say you were quite the opposite of numb. And so you have to take that into consideration yeah. also. I, yeah, I think I said death is... And it was also a lot because of what Roseanne told you to do at the time, which you did. And I think, you know, and I don't know if you right. want to share that or not. I'll share it because I think it's, it's beautiful. And I think that it, it was really what gave me a lot of closure because Roseanne told me as it was getting close and I told her I made the decision... I was going to to allow my mom to do what she was going to do. And, and she said, when it happens, don't let them rush you out of the room. Take your time. Whatever you want to do with your mom, it's your time. That was the best, best advice I've gotten because when I, when I saw she wasn't breathing, I, I whipped off my shoes. We were in the hospital. I had made the room beautiful. I had flowers and battery tea candles everywhere. You can't light candles in, in a, a hospital. But I had music going, and I just jumped in bed with her. I took all the tubes off of her and out of her nose and and just got to hug on her and love her, which I hadn't gotten to do for months and months and months, just giving her, like, a big hug, and she was warm, and she was my mom. And, and I laid with her for over an hour and I just, it just was so cathartic for me and it was a, such a good goodbye and I felt 
I would never have done that. I would I would have not even had thought I had permission to do that if you didn't that Roseanne. And Roseanne, let me ask you because you did give her that advice because I think you maybe have done something similar with your mother. I feel like because mm -hmm. that that happened that some of the let's say not, I don't want to say lack of emotion per se, you I think there's a reason one of the reasons for that is because you did that that you got to get out I, everything. I, 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 I think and, you're and right. I think, you know, you say, oh, I didn't. I mean, she was covered <laughs> yeah, in mascara. I mean, every, she My was, was covered, covered you were covered. It <laughs> was, I mean, and I think that type, which most people don't do. And Roseanne, I want to know your thoughts if that mm -hmm. is one of the reasons why you think maybe Susie's feeling the way she's feeling. Oh, I totally, because it's so, it's such a, um, I mean, they're gone. And it's such this feeling and it's, it's, I don't know. It's, it's that to be able to, to be able to put your hands on, on her and hold her and hug her like that. You weren't able to do that, Susie, for a long time. Mm -hmm. And to be able to do that, I mean, that's, it's a connection. It's, it just is. And it gives you that opportunity to say, I'm, I'm with you. I'm still with you. Do you know? Mm -hmm. And it, it allows mm -hmm. that yeah. it allows that that transfer almost to 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 be transferred to to experience um, to let her go. Yeah. yeah, I felt like after when the moment when I said, "Okay, that's it. I'm done. I'm walking away." It. I was ready right. to walk away. Right at that, that point, I was ready to leave her. I knew I had to. I knew I had to leave. It's time. I had gotten all the lovings in that I that I felt grateful that I could do that. I felt so grateful. She was she felt like my mom from a little girl when I was would give that yeah. big bear hug to your mother and I felt her warm skin and she felt mushy and soft and lovely and and I kissed every you know, I kissed her face and her arms and her just I just loved on her and cried and and yeah, yeah it was very therapeutic very therapeutic I think about that all the time like that is one of my most beautiful memories and I am honestly guys I'm I've been afraid of death my whole life since I'm three years old I run out of the bed and go I don't want to die I don't want to die I was so afraid of it because I didn't understand it this was such a rites of passage for me to literally and figuratively embrace it because I love my mom so much I didn't want to be afraid of it I didn't want to be afraid for her he was like, screw you, death. I'm going to, I'm, I, yeah, I'm not afraid ahead. of you. I said about my mother, when she died, she taught me how to live and now she's taught me how to die. And that's a beautiful gift. Yeah. And that's why I don't think that this numbness, I don't really know if it's numbness. I really don't because of that. You went through that process. Um, and you may, you may just dive into, you know, other other mm -hmm. types of grief as you go, mm -hmm. and you probably will. But I think this is a huge reason for it, and it's something that you know, like you said, the most beautiful part of this whole thing was after she passed. Yeah, that's yeah. that's huge. Well, and sometimes it's not linear. You know, there are some tips for coping yeah. with dementia grief, and the first is uh, to find a community of other Alzheimer's families in support groups. Uh, there's online. Yeah. 
Yep. Um, because the single most important, yeah, daughterhood, <laughs> friends like Roseanne, things like that. Um, th- this is the single most important coping action you can take to manage dementia grief. You need to be with people yes. who understand your position that from the understand. inside out and do not need right. you to find words to describe what you can't articulate. Because at the time, you can't. 100%. You're talking about describing feelings and how do you do that. So for, to find people who understand, number one, um, do try to find time to mourn and grieve in your own way, whether it's with that support group, you go out to the beach or, or go to church or the synagogue or whatever. Um, realize that there are different ways people grieve that are valid and don't become caught up in what grieving should look like or what other people think it should look like because that's not important <laughs> or what that's you right. think it should look like. That's probably the most no, important. No, because we're doing shitectomy. <laughs> exactly. Remember? <laughs> we're doing a shitectomy. I mean, some people need to cry. Some need to revisit their, their memories. Some need to pray. Some, you know, they express their grief through creativity. Um, and some just need to feel active and useful. Uh, and there's no wrong or right. It's possible... You may need to or want to express your grief in different ways at different times. It's not one thing. It could be multiple things. And uh, third, learning and practicing mindfulness Mm -hmm. skills or meditation can be a really powerful tool for managing dementia grief. It's important to understand that dementia grief simply is part of your life. It might be challenging at times, but in in, in itself, it's not that bad. It's actually good. It means that you loved somebody. And because if you didn't grieve, that means you just didn't care and, right. you know, big deal. And it's like these, and it's that? like AHA says in Take On Me, it's not better to be safe or sorry. So either way, if you don't love and you're protecting yourself, you're going to miss out. And if you love really hard, you're going to grieve really hard. And, um, and by the way, meditation comes in all forms. I'm not a big ooey-ooey person. I dance. And I'm telling you, that is meditation you cannot think of anything else but what your feet are doing and the sound of the music and that is meditating that's releasing your mind from other thoughts and that and it is therapeutic what do you do Roseanne to do that to I um you know I always think whatever it is uh, you know what might work for you might not work for me it might not I still can't go to church I go to church I start I just start to cry because I always used to take my mother to the church. So that doesn't, it doesn't work for me and that's okay. So I, I actually just try to, um, feel and go with that feeling. Um, I'm not, it's not like I'm making a list of this is what I'm going to do. I really, you know, it's so hard because it's, it's that relationship. And I try to just give myself the space to feel what I'm feeling. And for me, that's, that's pretty big. Um, and then just try to, I'm just, just trying to, to, to move forward. I, I do try to meditate. doesn't always work for me. Um, I try to breathe. doesn't really work mm-hmm. for me either, but I try. <laughs> so, you know, I try to, I try to just move forward with, with whatever, whatever comes up. And I try to be compassionate yes. f- to myself and not be like, this has got to be it. No, I, I don't have to do anything. If I feel like I can do it, I do it. And if I feel like today's not the day, today's not the day. And that's what I, I just try to try to um, work through that. Yes, I think that's beautiful because, and I think the one thing that, that or one of the things that you learn as someone is, is ending their life. And, you know, especially when they've lost their ability to speak, 
and move and, you know, basically just dependent on everything and, and they're stripped of everything yeah. and you can, and you see what's important and nothing is that important, but that, those yes. moments that you're in at that moment. So cherish the one you love, cherish the time you have with them and, and just make those memories, get those memories because those memories are so important. Those are the gifts that you give yourself as a, as a caregiver. You get those memories. I get those. I have all these memories with my mother that I, I will cherish for the rest of my life. I will cherish that I love you, that if I hadn't been there, I wouldn't have heard it. I will cherish being able to hold her when she passed. I will cherish making her laugh. I will cherish all of the crazy shenanigans I got up to with her just to keep her, you know, because it made me feel good, make her feel good. And I will cherish that. And I hope that you, while you're going through this process or if you've already gone through it, just your memories, make more memories, know that, that you are making memories, you're just different, differently, and just be present, be present, and just cherish what, the, the person that you love, that's all I can say, it, we can't change it, we can't make them not die, unfortunately, but you can make it a beautiful, a beautiful experience, and it will be, just like my friend Roseanne told me. Thank you for having me be on this. It's a very important topic, and I appreciate being on here with the two of you, and I adore both of you, and I'm happy to, um, to be part of your uh, Plish, tribe. Tri well, that makes, that makes her Group? Jewish. Okay. No. Um, uh, <laughs> Listen, she's Italian. We're Jewish. What's Same the thing. difference? Same <laughs> thing. To eat, we're emotional, and, and that's it. <laughs> Done. And we love, and we love, and we, love. We, we put we our hearts out on the pulse. Yep, exactly. So thank Absolutely. you. Thank you very thank much. Thank you. Pleasure. And we'll have to do it course. again next time. Yes. Uh, anytime you want, I'm game. We are here if, at Love Conquers Alls, and Roseanne has a wonderful podcast, Daughterhood the Podcast. We always have wonderful guests and good conversation, and it's not always heavy. It's, it's you know, we try to look at, at, at positive that is, and, and which it love. all comes down to love, right, Don? It does. It always comes down to love. And there's one reason for that. Do you know why? Why? Because love is powerful. Tis. Love is contagious. Tis. And love conquers alls. And we it thank does. you for being like, share, do all those things because you love us. We love you. And we're going to see and you next And be kind time. to yourself. Be kind. Give yourself grace and thank you, everybody. Love you. Bye.